Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We're going to jump into it because I got a lot of ground I want to cover in a short time to do it. SBC stuff, and then we'll talk some Anglican stuff, and then we'll talk some Lutheran stuff. And I may in the future need some help on the Anglican and Lutheran stuff. So I have some Lutheran contacts, but if there's any the one who knows good conservative Anglicans, let me know. I've met a few, but I just don't travel in those circles much. So here's um, what I want to start with. This was a tweet. I put out a post about this, and I just said, what are we going to say? That Planned Parenthood is now, it's okay to work with them because only a percentage of what they do is abortion. They also do helpful things for women's health. I did that sarcastically, and someone said, you should talk about this on the podcast because I think enough people just didn't get it. But let, let me explain this to you. This, this is from last week. This is, a lot of this stuff is from things that while I was traveling, I couldn't get to last week, and I want to talk about them now because I think they are relevant. And um, th- This is from the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's a tweet, and the tweet says, you have heard it said that Guidepost Solutions takes your SBC money and uses it to fund LGBTQ events. But I tell you that the most leftist cause to which Guidepost has ever contributed is a police association. Bunch of commies, those boys in blue, they're lying to you. So he's accusing people of lying who have a problem with the fact that Guidepost Solutions, hired by the SBC to investigate sexual abuse and make recommendations, happens to be very pro-LGBT. And they post about it and they're public about it. And that should be relevant and that should be important to think about because that's in the neighborhood of sexual abuse. They're literally against the Southern Baptist sexual ethic. And Bart Barber here wants to, I guess, make a joke about how because they support the police, I guess that means they're not woke. And he frames it in the kinds of words Jesus in Jesus language here. You have heard it said, but I say, I mean, this is like from the Sermon on the Mount or something. It's just, it's crazy. This is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. It is a joke. Southern Baptist Convention is, it's, it's like having Biden as the president and Bart Barber of the Southern Baptist Convention, it just makes you wonder what world we're living in. But, uh, but I think my point holds true here that you know, if you're going to justify guidepost for something as fundamental as that, then, man, why not justify working with Planned Parenthood? I mean, I'm not saying that it's, you know, Planned Parent, what Planned Parenthood does isn't more evil. I think it certainly is. But, I mean, it's, it's an abomination. It's toeva in the Old Testament to, um, to support homosexuality. They're supporting an abomination. So... There you go. Um, that's the president of the Southern Baptist Convention justifying it there and saying they're lying to you. If there's, yeah, they're not. They're not lying. I, I mean, I don't know about the LGBTQ events, but we've shown the screenshots here before. Guidepost Solutions celebrates Pride Month. They're pro LGBTQ. Uh, end of discussion. I don't even know what to else to say about that. All right. Um, other Southern Baptist stuff. I wanted to point this out to you. This is uh, from last week, but. It is in the wake of the whole Saddleback Church thing and the Southern Baptists uh, Executive Committee kicking, uh, disfellowshipping Saddleback Church over having a woman pastor. And it's—so let me just read for you some reactions that went somewhat viral. I went to bed after hearing Beth Moore recount the shadow that terrorized her childhood. I woke up angry knowing that there are hundreds of abusers in SBC pulpits, yet some in our convention have prioritized removing female shepherds before going after men who are wolves. Here's another one. Uh, Priorities on display. This is actually from Krista Brown, who I think has contributed to the Caringwell Project in the SBC. But she says, Priorities on display. The SBC Executive Committee disfellowships Saddleback and four more churches because women pastors, but they don't even add Johnny Hunt to the list of abusers. And they applaud Morris Chapman, who stonewalled SBC two survivors for years because job well done. This is the SBC. 
Ben Marsh, one of, and, and this is, again, I don't know who Ben Marsh is, but Beth Moore follows him, and he's got a lot of likes on this. One of the most ironic parts of the SBC kicking Saddleback out is that they have proven that they can reprimand churches that do things they don't like. That's going to play out very interestingly in the numerous lawsuits of bisex abuse vic- survivors against the SBC. And then the last but not least, uh, the Lori Adams Brown. Dear Southern Baptist, you raised me in the faith to have integrity and to care for others. How is it possible that instead of addressing Saddleback for a pastor with years of abuse allegations, you oust them for letting women use their God-given gifts? Now, y'all, this is not complicated whatsoever. It is not complicated. It is um, a lot easier to apply the rules than it is to create a revolution against the rules. And that's what's happening with the Me Too stuff. It's not. It's it's fundamentally altering the way the Southern Baptist Convention itself functions. It's no longer a network of autonomous churches. Once you have this uh, body to police and to intake uh, complaints about sexual abuse and to try to um, provide lawyers and all the rest, it, it's just not the, the same thing. And and that takes a long time. It's it's they're doing it actually fairly quickly, but it it should take a while to. You would think, under normal circumstances, to fundamentally change an organization like that, and to come up with now very different ways of approaching. Um, I, I even see it with the way people are treating John MacArthur, not the SBC in particular, but uh, th- approaching abuse by preponderance of evidence instead of innocent or um, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. The preponderance of evidence means fifty-one percent. If if you think evidence suggests. Right, fifty-one percent of the evidence seems to suggest that John MacArthur did something wrong. Well, he must have done it, rather than a very a higher threshold, uh, beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is fundamental, fundamentally changing the way that things are done. And that's what Guidepost uh, recommends. That's that's what the SBC is getting when they hire Guidepost and they want the recommendations from Guidepost. And their sexual abuse task force is trying to implement these Me Too style. Um, policies it's going to take time and i don't i mean i'm against it i think that there's not a perfect world out there and the best thing is call the police that's the police's job in fact uh, and then after that it's of course you, you take measures i go to a church that we do we have a, a class if you're going to work with children you have to take the class there's cameras we take precautions but why should a church like myself like the one i attend uh, it's not SBC, but let's say it was, be punished because another church didn't take precautions or because um, they they did take the precautions, but because of some bogus Me Too standard, they're liable or hell, they're called into account. I mean, that's, that's the problem. And we've gone over this before. I don't want to beat the dead horse and uh, go into all the details. We, so you all know. But um, anyway, that's uh, I want to show you that just to um, make... The point I just made, and and also to highlight the fact that there seems to be not much of a concern about female pastors. In fact, it's it's almost in some of these tweets, it's like a it's like a negative. It's like, you know, dear Southern Baptist, you raised me in the faith. Let's see, how is it possible that instead of addressing saddleback pastors with years of abuse, you oust them for letting women using their God given gifts? So, uh, someone who's a convictional Christian here, let's say this is all true, right? And um, Southern Baptist Convention, let's say, should have ousted. I mean, this is generally something that you would leave to the law enforcement, and it's um, something if you don't have all the facts, if it's not beyond a reasonable doubt, if you don't know, you don't weigh in. But let's just, for the sake of argument, because I don't know all the details of this situation, let's just say that this is a, a legitimate case of abuse, and maybe it is. And 
um, that this was it, it wasn't handled properly, and and the Saddleback churches. Let, let's just for the sake of argument say they're pro abuse. Yeah, abusing women's great. We should do it. And let's say the Southern Baptist Convention fails to kick them out, and then they kick them out though for having a female pastor. The the Orthodox believer would say in this situation, both of those things are bad. <laughs> so those things are wrong. They're against God's will, and you don't. Um, you, you could point out, I suppose, a, a level of hypocrisy if you wanted, but the the fact that they're being kicked out for something that is also wrong, according to God. I mean, it's not. Just, it, this is not my opinion. This is what the Word of God says. Then, um, you know, I, I just think that there should be su- a support for that. And and that's not what I'm seeing. I'm not seeing a support. There's a condemnation that they're doing this. It's like they were more uh, against abuse before they ousted Saddleback for having a woman pastor. Uh, once they did that, it was like, well, they'll do that, but they won't. Uh, yeah, yeah, they will do that. That's directly in violation of the Baptist faith and message. Of course they'll do that. Why would you think they wouldn't? They're just applying the rules. Um, anyway, I'm... I'm beating the dead horse. <laughs> I just, I can't. What passes for logic sometimes, with, with people who have like followings on social media and a level of prominence, I just don't understand how some people get to that point. Maybe I do, but it's frustrating sometimes. All right. So a little bit of SBC stuff. Let's talk about uh, some other denominations though here. I want to get to, I want to talk about the, um, uh, we're, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to talk about the Anglicans here. This is a story uh, from Fox News. Anglican leaders reject Archbishop of Canterbury after same-sex marriage decision and call it false teaching. Anglican leaders rejected the leadership of the Archbishop of Canterbury in a scathing letter after the Church of England voted earlier this month to offer blessings for same-sex couples. The statement against Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, was signed by archbishops from 10 of the 42 provinces of the global Anglican communion who represent conservative provinces, mostly in Africa and Asia. So, so again, these are, aren't these, according to a Western standard, racial minorities, just asking, that believe homosexuality goes against the Bible. The Church of England has chosen to break communion with those provinces who remain faithful to the historic biblical faith, said the statement from members of the Global South Fellowship of Anglican Churches. The archbishops claimed the Church of England has departed from the historic faith passed down from the apostles by this innovation in the liturgies of the church and her pastoral practice, and drifted into false teaching. It is therefore disqualified from being a leader of global Anglicanism, the letter stated. The archbishops further said that they were no longer able to recognize the president, uh, the present Archbishop of Canterbury as the first among equals leader of the global communion. Welby has sadly let his house of bishops, that's the Archbishop Welby, to make the recommendation that undergirded the general sin in motion on living in love and faith, so that's the pro-marriage, uh, uh, same-sex marriage that, uh, proposal, knowing that they run contrary to the faith and order of the Orthodox provinces in the communion. Uh, the statement was signed by the GSFA Chair Archbishop Justy Badi of South Sudan, along with Archbishops of Chile, the Indian Ocean, Congo, Myanmar, Bangladesh, Uganda, Sudan, Alexandria, and Melanesia. The Archbishop said that they would continue to work to reset the communion and to ensure that the reset communion is marked by reform and renewal. Only then will the Anglican Church as a whole be able to be God's channel of light and transformation. The letter comes amid deep global divisions among Anglicans regarding gender and sexuality 
following two days of extensive debate. Now, uh, this is so interesting to me just because, well, not just because, but one of the reasons is because it's the, the, the synod here. So, so the UK, this is what's happening in the UK. They're voting to lament and repent for not being welcoming towards LGBTQI plus people. So they're, they're playing the social justice game. And it's members of the church from the global south, uh, from all these places that uh, are supposed to be, right, places we listen to because they're victims and have received colonialism and they should not be colonized by our ideas, etc. They're the ones that are holding true to orthodoxy. But yet, um, the way it's even framed, it, there's, there's not like a colonial angle to this that's being exploited. <laughs> there's not a... Uh, opinion that, well, these, these are the innovations of these, these white men foisting it upon these uh, colonial um, or, you know, trying to support them in these areas in which uh, they would be not welcome, that they would, that, that what you would think would be there. And it's not because, again, this, for obvious reasons, this runs contrary to uh, the social justice narrative. And, uh, and that is why. So, that's going on. Here's uh, something else. This is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod president calling for the excommunication of white nationalists. Now, this is very interesting. We had Brother David Ramirez on to talk about the Lutheran Church, the Missouri Synod specifically, uh, not long ago. And um, let's see here. And what he said uh, I thought was very interesting because he he was very hopeful at the time. He thought that Maybe there was a way to um, stop some of the changes that were being made to the uh, catechism. I think it was the catechism. And the president of the denomination had taken pause and said, we're going to review this. Well, I guess this is part of the answer to that review process. The president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod has called for excommunication of unrepentant white nationalists in the church's ranks, rebuking an extremist effort to exert influence within the denomination. In a letter on February 21st, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod president, Matthew Harrison, said he was shocked to learn recently, shocked, I tell you, that a few members of the LCMS congregation have been propagating radical and unchristian alt-right views via Twitter and other social media. Now, this is one of the reasons I want someone to weigh in. I was just watching some videos and stuff on this from some people who are who are claiming, they're saying there's no evidence for this. Like the people that they're excommunicating aren't, they're not Nazis, they're not alt-right, they're not any of those things. They're just being smeared this way. So I will reserve judgment on that. The suspicion is, right, like nine times out of ten, that's usually what happens. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe they have a problem with this. But the fact that he's shocked about it, shocked I tell you, when um, he didn't seem shocked about some of the pro LGBTQ stuff in their literature that they were putting out with the uh, uh, the catechism, it's just uh, it's interesting. You know, you'll go through a review process upon further consideration, but uh, shocked when it comes to learning about the alt like like which that's one of the things I, that I find curious for Christians. Like like if you wanted to do the moral comparison, right? And you, and you want to say, okay, which is worse? What, what does God really like hate more? And of course, sin is sin, but we, we know that there are different civil penalties. We know that um, it's going to be greater judgment for uh, 
for, for those who rejected Jesus' ministry, cities that rejected Jesus' ministry, than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. We know there's like there is there are different punishments and and so forth, and so like that gives you a little bit of an indication like that there are certain things that are more evil than others. Uh, Romans one points that out, and uh, that there are there's a twistedness, there's a level of depravity one reaches uh, in false worship that um, further that you don't reach uh, for that you don't. You're not experiencing uh, further up the the line, so given that scale, we know some kind of a scale like that exists. Everyone's obviously condemned uh, before God for whatever sin, but but knowing that there are some things God hates that that are more evil or have fallen to that depth, do you think LGBTQ stuff? Do you think someone who's a practicing homosexual or transgender? Uh, do you think God looks at that and thinks, well? You know, that's kind of understandable. Um, at least they're not a white nationalist. Does that make any sense to someone whose mind is shaped by the Bible? None, none, like, point out the Bible verses. I can give you a number of Bible verses on sexual ethics. I can give you a number of Bible verses on, specifically on homosexuality. And even cross-dressing. I can, I mean, we can go there. Uh the other side is going to have to say, well, it's some vague notion of love your neighbor. It's all those love your neighbor passages. It's the Good Samaritan, and it's all their, it's Revelation 7. It's, they're going to go to passages that don't really directly deal with white nationalism, quote-unquote. Uh, they're, they're indirect. And it's, the emphasis in Scripture is not that. The, if you're going to see an emphasis, if we're comparing these two, it's, it's going to be against homosexuality. Like, clearly. Um, and that's the thing that just proves to me, too, that people's minds are so—their priorities are just so out of whack, you know. Um, obviously, the version—well, I don't even want to say versions. Like, the, the problem with even navigating terms like white nationalism, white supremacy, um, racism is because we don't even know what the definitions are anymore because they've been so diluted and they've been applied to everything. But, you know, let's just say— you know, hating someone else because of their their skin color or their genetics or something, yeah, that's wrong, and uh, it it would be it, you know in that case you're denying if you really are denying that you're saying they're animalistic, the Darwinian logic or something, you would be uh, denying some biblical teaching, right? So I'm I'm going to like worst case scenario, someone who hates others, racist. Uh, thinks they're beneath them, they're not even human, they're animals. I mean, there, there are people in the history that have been like this. All right, that's wrong, right? Uh, clearly, and and I don't know if anyone would argue otherwise. Um, but the the way this is vaguely thrown around, and the way people are just so shocked that someone would think that, is is a little shocking to me. When when they're not shocked about these other things, the sexual anarchy that is before us. Um, so so anyway, it goes on. It just says that, you know the Matthew Harrison's just so shocked. Uh, they were causing local disruption for congregations. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a serious issue. This is evil. We condemn it in the name of Christ. Harrison went to rebuke the horrible and racist teachings of. The, I mean, this is just. And it goes. It says, white supremacy, Nazism, pro-slavery, anti-interracial marriage, women as property, women as property, really, fascism, death for homosexuals, even genocide. It's a villain list. It's like all the the villains that the left thinks they're fighting, all in one list. 
um, death for homosexuals, you know, even genocide. So, so here's the question I've been holding myself back from, but I got to say it now. Would Martin, what would Martin Luther be in this? I'm just curious. Where would Martin Luther, this is the Lutheran Missouri Synod. Um, I mean, where would even God be in this? Death for homosexuals. Uh, I don't, I mean, where, where would anyone get an idea that there's a death penalty for homosexuals? I don't know, maybe the Old Testament. So this is like a good way to cancel your own Bible if you really want to go there. But Martin Luther himself, I mean, I, and I have read his book on the Jews uh, and their lies, I think is the title. Um, he, he wouldn't fit into this too well. And and I don't know, it just wouldn't be that shocking to me. And <laughs> yeah, now, see, see the thing, I, I did a whole paper on Martin Luther. I um, presented, actually on this YouTube channel, I presented in defending him against the accusation that he inspired the Nazis and so forth. Uh, they cherry-picked him and used him because he had a status in the German culture, but he would not have approved what they did or the logic they used in doing it. But that said, I mean, he says some very, very harsh things, and they he would not fit in. I mean, if Martin Luther was here today, he would be disciplined from the Lutheran church that has his name, Missouri Synod. There's no doubt. He noted that while the LCMS is not a top-down institution, he should work with local pastors. Uh, man, uh, he just goes on and on about these hateful ideologies, how horrible it is. And here, here's the key part. Here's what I want you to hear. The letter comes in the wake of an article published this month by anti-fascist group um, alleging the rise— so it's an anti-fascist group. I think this is like an Antifa group. Anyway, the rise of white supremacist faction within the Lutheran Church. The post single by Corey— uh, Mahler, who has reportedly been active in far-right circles for years and has posted about whiteness and white genocide on Twitter. <laughs> so here's the... Mahler also identifies as a Christian nationalist. Here's the funny thing to me. If you... In all these scenarios, if you have a quote, quote, quote it, right? If you have... This is the guy. This is the the person. This is what we're shocked about. Give give the really bad quote that says he's a Nazi. Here's the here's the summation of the quote. Wow. He's, uh, he, he's concerned about... A white genocide. Well, um, I don't know. When you look at South Africa, I, I could see why someone might be concerned. Asked whether Mahler would be excommunicated, a representative of the church he allegedly attends in Tennessee said that the matter was being handled internally, but declined to comment further. All right, so this goes on. Um, the Earlier this year, the president asked Concordia Publishing House, the denomination's publishing partner, to pause distribution of the new Luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications, citing an online disturbance. The move came out of an abundance of caution over concerns expressed about the content of the essays. We talked about this on the podcast. There's pro-LGBT stuff. Um, and it talks about Ryan Turn. I got to get Ryan Turnipseed on the pro program. His name came up again here. In particular, a popular Twitter thread by Ryan Turnipseed takes issue with that the essays acknowledging economic and societal privilege and same-sex attraction, as well as suggesting a Lutheran approach to social justice. The effort has stoked responses throughout the nomination, including some vying for denomination's leadership. All right. Here's, so there's two things. Number one, um, man, getting their cues from an anti-fascist group. Red flag there. Are you working with an anti, if this is like an Antifa type group, which I think that's, I mean, anti-fascist, that's, that's Antifa, I would think. Let's just, you know what? I haven't done this, but let's just, let's search it. Let's see. Um, doo -doo -doo. So here's their Twitter. Uh, 
Uh, 98 followers. It doesn't seem like a very big uh, <laughs> following there. Um, hmm. Well, it looks like they're pro-abortion. I mean, I don't know if they're linked to Antifa, uh, but uh, whoever this group is, I guess they're they're digging up dirt. They're trying to at least, and um, and that's so 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 the thing is, you know, the anti-fascist group brings this to the attention of the Lutheran Church, and the, that's what's shocking to the president. And then the second thing is um, that uh, Harrison said extremist efforts were also the genesis of a recent controversy over a new edition of larger church catechism. So he's connecting it saying, yeah, you know, this controversy over this uh, larger church catechism, which embraces, uh, softens LGBT stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that, that's the motivation here. I mean, it's, it's an, it, that, that's the thing that concerns me is, is the attempt is to smear. I think that's what's going on. There's an attempt to smear here, that this, this controversy, is it's the extremists came out of the woodwork to oppose this uh, this new edition of Luther's larger catechism, and now we're on the hunt for white supremacists now and Nazis and etc. So and people apparently who want to bring back slavery, yeah, because uh, that's the only thing that could possibly motivate one to be really concerned with the larger catechism. I am sure, or the essays accompanying it. All right, well, that's the, what's happening in the Missouri Synod. So I, I hate to say that I was expecting this, but I kind of was. I was, you know, hopeful a little bit that fortunately there was like a review process, but this doesn't surprise me that the president's now uh, signaling this. Now, let's talk about the, um, let, let's go back to the Anglican stuff real quick. I want to, I probably should have done this in a different order, but oh well. Um, we're going to talk about that, the Anglican Church, and this is an, uh, Oxford, 11 days ago it was posted, Oxford Student Union. This is 12 minutes. We can't watch the whole thing, but I want you to be encouraged. This young man, I don't know much about him, but he's a, I guess he's a, a I don't know what, a rector? Would that be, be what they call him in the Anglican Church? And here's what he says in a, in a, I would say, a hostile environment. So let's listen to some of this together, see how far we get. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing to you, O Lord. Um, I was going to say thank you for the warm introduction, but I think instead I'll say thank you for the invitation. That's far more charitable. Um, it's a genuine pleasure to speak here this evening, it really is. I'm happy to be back at the Oxford Union. It wasn't too long ago that I was based here myself. And I'm very happy to be part of an organization that is still standing up for free speech, still standing up for diversity of thought and opinion, going against... Uh, the approved narrative of academia in the 21st century. So well done to you all for that. Now, I genuinely struggled with this one. Uh, I've struggled sleeping this week, actually. I've, I don't get stage fright. I never get nervous when I go on television. I recently debated at the Cambridge Union and the Durham Union, no problem whatsoever. But this, there's something different about this one. It's been causing me anxiety. So someone kindly sent me Luke, chapter 12, verses 11 to 12, saying, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself and what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. I know there's something a bit ironic about me coming here with a prepared speech after that, but why do I feel anxiety about this? 
Well, we are up against the authorities. Three bishops from the established church. That means either I am wrong, and Christians have been teaching incorrectly for the last 2,000 years, or and Jews and Christians for the last four to 6,000 years, or we have church leaders attempting to drag the church into apostasy. Neither way is good. The consequences are severe. This debate is not just happening in this chamber. This debate is happening in real time in the House of Bishops as we speak. There's a growing number of vocal bishops who want to change the, the church's teaching on marriage. The results being the spiritual neglect of Anglicans up and down this country. Now, I may have trained at the last remaining sound Anglican seminary up the road at St. Stephen's House, but I am a newbie deacon. So perhaps I am, on, I am wrong on this. Let's consult people wiser than myself, starting with the church fathers. St. Thomas Aquinas, in his Summer Theologica, quite clearly identifies matrimony as being between one man and one woman, beneficial for begetting of children. Okay, so he goes on like this. He quotes the Church Fathers. He quotes the Book of Common Prayer. Um, he quotes the Bible. Here's a, a portion that gets replayed a lot. So let me just uh, play this for you. Looks like we got an ad. All right, so once the ad's done. We're replacing his authority with our own. If marriage is no longer between one man and one woman, are we open to the idea of polygamy? We disregard the heterosexual aspect, so why not the monogamous aspect too? If love is love, as we keep hearing, who is to say that three men loving each other is not more love than two men loving each other? Shame and generosity. And I'm sure someone in this chamber has echoed the words love is love tonight. And this is not about love being love. This is about marriage, the sacrament of holy matrimony. It is directly connected to love, but it's not the definition of love. Too many people utter those words and confuse the meaning of love. Agape, the biblical context of love, is a divine love. It's a sacrificial love. It's not lustful. People often conflate sex with love. It's very disingenuous. We've heard quite a bit of that. But then, of course, atheists often pirate the words, God is love. And we've heard that one tonight, too. Again, without any understanding. Yes, God is love. But he sets the terms, not us. Another one we've heard... I, I just, I can't, I can't uh, tell you how much this guy encourages me, and I don't even know him uh, anything more. I've just heard this one speech. I think I've seen him before, because he's got kind of an iconic look. For those listening, he's got, um, I guess that's kind of an afro, and uh, he he just looks, um, I don't know, uh, iconic. He, 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 you don't, we wouldn't confuse him with anyone else. Uh, Thick-rimmed uh, uh, glasses, black glasses, and... Uh, you know, clerical outfit. And um, anyway, though, he, he goes on for a while. This is his conclusion. Let me just uh, play you this. Embrace gay marriage. Who is calling for the Quran to be updated to modern societal norms? It is the same, mind your language, it is the same patronizing attitude of people of other, that treat other faiths, patronize other faiths while being intolerant towards Christians at the same time. It's a shame, but in the words of St. Athanasius of Alexandria. If the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. Thank you very much. Yeah, this guy, uh, who is Calvin Robinson, Reverend Calvin Robinson is this guy's name. And uh, so much respect for this guy. And I thought that would be encouraging for you just to know, hey, like I wish I could hear guys like this 
in our evangelical denomination stand up. I mean, this is a bold guy, and um, and we need a whole lot more Calvin Robinsons around. Okay, um, last but not least, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So circling back, we made a full circle back to the Southern Baptists. Now, at first I wasn't going to talk about this, and then I thought, you know, I will, because here's the thing. The Southern Baptists, or the uh, Southeastern, where I graduated from, that's where my MDiv is from, I have showed numerous hours of evidence, pages of evidence, uh, more than any probably other institution, I have shown evidence that Southeastern uh, has um, cer- certain aspects of Southeastern have gone woke. The, the uh, administration there went woke after Donald Trump's election, certainly. And there's so uh, montages, citations. I, I don't know, I've provided all the evidence, and um, uh, you can even find some of it in, in the last book I wrote, Christianity and Social Justice, Religions and Conflict. I point out that there's even heretics there. Walter Strickland is a heretic. I don't know how else to say it. How else do you say that now? I mean, he conflates the law and the gospel, and he does it more than once, and he is pro-liberation theology, which is the kind of error you would assume from someone who's pro-liberation theology. So why would I have to beat the dead horse? Well, I don't have to, but it's a reminder. Guys, they're still woke. And one of the things I keep seeing is uh, that people seem to think that, well, if there's like a expiration date, like, oh, well, they were woke, and now they're not. They're, they, well, I haven't heard a lot of woke things. So it's kind of settled down. So there was, But if there's no retraction, if there's no admission, if there's no apology, if it's just this course correction, sort of, it's not real. And, and I don't spend time perusing Southeastern, but a number of people sent this to me. So I want to just play for you some clips from it. This is um, a recent lecture at Southeastern from Jonathan Moo, and uh, it is uh, a climate crisis lecture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's posted recently, but uh, I guess it's from October, so I don't know why they posted it recently. Telling students to buy carbon credits if they take any flights, recommended. All right, so let's just play some of this. This is Woke Preacher Clips has given us some... uh, choice clips here. We're thinking about living lives of personal virtue that reflect our commitments. Obviously thinking about our transportation, um, driving less, walking more, bicycling more, the basic things. We're, we're on to the list that I said I wasn't going to give you earlier on. When we do fly, as I have done with no little sense of irony and um, questioning in myself, well, at least let us not simply excuse ourselves, but acknowledge the cost by paying for it with carbon credits. There's a great organization, Climate Stewards, linked to the Arasha, this Christian organization, that is doing fantastic projects in the majority world that, are, that qualify for offsets, for carbon offsets. So at least acknowledge more the cost of the things that we do, the, the life that we're a part of. I mean, it's great stuff to tell future pastors, right? Young, young uh, skulls full of mush, as Rush Limbaugh used to say. They're sitting there learning to go and uh, preach to their churches. And, um, you know, you know what you should tell your congregation to be like Jesus is uh, when they fly an airplane, in an airplane, you maybe want to purchase some carbon credits. Oh, from a company that Jonathan Moo uh, is a board member of. That would be good. Just pr- go purchase some carbon credits there and you know, get your indulgence. Um, here's, uh, this, is, this is what more made me do this when I saw this clip argument this evening, which is pretty obvious, I guess, from my somewhat perhaps controversial title, that is that in order to be faithful to the gospel, we must care well for God's creation. 
It's not an option. It's not just something we might add on to lots of other programs we might do. It's not even just a clever strategy for evangelism, although I do consider it one of the ways in which faithful Christian witness might, must be lived out in our time, and one that many people around us, many of my students, are longing to see the church do more fully. And the reasons why this is absolutely vital and should be woven into all that we do and proclaim is first and foremost because it is part of the gospel. It is part of what it is to love God and neighbor. If we love God... All right, we're done. It, it's part of the gospel, yeah. Part of the gospel is loving God and neighbor. It's No, that's the law. That's the law. That's not the gospel. This is the conflation. That it, it's what Walter Strickland does at Southeastern. This is, it's so common, though. It's, it's just... People are never called out for it, though. Rarely. It's, it's podcasts like mine that are saying, this is a problem, guys. This is what Paul would condemn as, and say an anthema to. No, that's not part of the gospel. Jonathan Moo, you don't understand the gospel, and you're lecturing future seminaries. You're telling them this is their duty to be faithful to the gospel. They have to, I guess, purchase carbon credits. Uh, I mean, because that's part of taking care of the environment. Um. This is sick. It's sick stuff. That's not the gospel. It's not the good news. It's what Jesus did, not what we do. All right. Uh, oh, there's so much more. <laughs> Should we keep going here? Um, let's. Yeah. Let Let's do just one more clip. Let's just do this one. Means I think, and here is a spiritual discipline that I think is absolutely essential for us today. Setting aside our technology for a time. Spending time in God's word and in God's world and reminding ourselves that though our technology would make us think we are at the center of the universe, but actually God is at the center of the universe. Um, to be brought around God's throne again and to see the ways in which creation points to that, reminds us of our humility um, and shows forth God's goodness and beauty and glory. So just an invitation to celebrate the goodness and beauty even of a broken world. If you're someone who's prone to despair or your friends are, um, to see that, yes, the world faces these challenges that we have talked about, calls for the activism I'm talking about here, but to give in to despair, to not also see the beauty and goodness and joy of the world, I think would be to take God's creation in a sense and throw it back in God's face. Not to say that God has given us this incredible gift that we should celebrate and cherish and love and find joy in and goodness in, to remember in fact, what it is that we are fighting for. Walking enables that attentiveness. And of course, I just mean transportation in general, slowing down, seeing the world around us more. As well as, of course, if we're thinking about living lives of personal virtue that reflect our commitments, obviously thinking about our transportation, um, driving less, walking more, bicycling more, the basic things. We're, we're onto the list that I said I wasn't going to give you earlier on. When we do fly, as I have done with no... Yeah, here we go. That's the statement we already heard before. Okay, so... I guess that just gives you broader context for when he said that. So it's uh, changing our whole lifestyle around um, to, I mean, it's it's healthy to walk and stuff. I'm not, I'm, I'm a hiker, but his motive for this whole thing is this is a, uh, it's part of the gospel and it's, it's, he even used the word activism to be an activist. So teaching, this is one of the things I said years ago, I remember, I said, they're training community organizers at Southeastern. It's not so much about training pastors. They're training community organizers. Now, you can go through there and get certain professors, and maybe you can avoid some of that. I mean, I think that's possible, but but the emphasis, the new innovative way, approach is it's community organization. 
and and you just heard it. It's it's activism. It's activism. All right, uh, that's about it. Um, let's uh, uh, let let's go here. I just want to uh, announce this. Probably be talking about a little bit more. This is a um, an organization to help you. And uh, there are more, there's more than one person I'm sure in this audience who wishes that they had a different job. And not because it's not in a, you know, it's a field that you don't like. It's because your soul is grieved working for a woke corporation or just a corporation that doesn't value Christianity perhaps, or or makes you, uh, suffer mild forms of persecution for it, or you're constrained and can't evangelize. I mean, it could be a whole host of things. But with the rise of wokeness in corporations, there is someone who is trying to solve this problem. And uh, it's uh, newfounding.com, newfounding.com. And the link, uh, I have an affiliate link that I'm going to put in the um, show notes, so you can go uh, check it out. Uh, It it will help you connect with employers. They have employers from um, executives who have grown companies to 500 million plus in revenue, all the way to early career engineers and co-founders keen to join a dynamic founding team. They have so it, it, it's the whole span. Um, it's people who employers who want employees who are going to share their values. It's the corporations that aren't woke. And I would just suggest if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for uh, some competent, mission-aligned uh, co-workers or to, to, to be with, company to work for that you can be proud of, that you don't need to feel guilty for buying their products, uh, check it out. Go to um, the link in the uh, info section for this video, and you can check out New Foundings uh, Talent uh, area and and you can see here as I'm uh, showing on the video stream, uh, you can see the opportunities. You can see the job board, um, or if you're someone who is an employer, you can try to connect with people who might be in that pool. And so, um, so there's a number of organizations here. I think this is a great thing that that they're doing, and it's it's been needed. Some people have asked me even recently about this. Uh, I got a text not too long ago from a friend, John. Do you know any places I can go to find a job that's going to be more conservative? That's not at least, and then what they mean by that now is just that I, I don't have to use preferred pronouns, and I'm not going to be worried about losing my job if I fail to apply that. Um, yeah. Yeah, there is a place you can go, and uh, the link is in the info section there. So uh, check it out. Uh, God bless. Uh, More coming, and bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.